Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome back, folks. Roach on Recovery. Your host, Orville Roach here, going solo today. Our co-host and producer, Mr. Chris Morales, is uh, across the pond. Should be in Madrid as we speak. Left last Friday morning If you listen to our last show We spent some time talking about his aircraft And his flights Smoothing things over for him And his wife Um, I hope they had a uh, Pleasant flight over From Newark, New Jersey um, To Madrid And a pleasant flight back uh, next show, we'll grill him on all that was on the other side and how his flights went and if all of my predictions about the aircraft that he was flying on were true or not. So with that said, uh, brief note on sports. You know, I've got to touch on sports. By next Monday... All the training camps for all NFL teams should be in action. Most are starting up sometime this week, this very last week of uh, July. And I was thinking to myself over the weekend, 
what a sorry state we football fans are that uh, we basically spend our time just, you know, from the end of the Super Bowl, just waiting for the first Sunday of the season. And I don't know when it, for me, I don't know when it became like that because I used to watch all sports all year round, but for some reason, uh, football just took over. And I'm not sure if that's healthy. But um, with that said... Had to drop that for the first time since camp is now officially open. And, um. How about you, Cowboys? Yes, just by happenstance, this year the Dallas Cowboys, one of my favorite teams, is the first team to open camp just because they're playing in August in the Hall of Fame game. Uh, So they get to open a week early before everybody else. So kudos to them. Other than that, I'm going on media silence until mid-August as it pertains to sports. And I'm going to catch up. This is my commitment to myself. I'm going to catch up on my reading list, which is piling up. So reduction in TV, reduction in reading the newspapers. I still go online and read the New York sports section of the newspapers, believe it or not. My wife thinks I'm crazy. But they have the best sports pages in the whole country, so that's why I, I, I read those sports pages. So I'm not reducing all of that. I'm not going to say I'm going to eliminate it, but I'm going to reduce all of that and pick up some of the books that I've spent some money on and knock those out. Summer reading, like they give the high schoolers and middle schoolers. Knock out some of my summer reading. And when I'm done, I'll come back and tell you guys some of the books that I've read. Um, what else? I'm going to get right into our topic. Normally, if my co-host was here, we'll chat back and forth on a number of things. But I get an opportunity to spend a little bit more time on our topic today. I plan to get in a number of X-File questions because the stack is about two inches high. Um, and we usually only get to maybe four or five questions, but hopefully I can get through many questions today. Um, our topic, recovery-based exercises. This comes from a list that was developed by a program based out of Illinois called Two Dreams, a substance abuse program. And they had a list. Actually, they started out with one list, and the list was so well-received, they came up with another list. So I kind of went through their list of uh, items, which consist of emotional, mental, and you know, physical exercises, if you will, or tools, if you will, or even philosophies, if you will, that those in recovery should be utilizing and putting into action to enhance their recovery, uh, improve the their recovery outcomes, etc. So we're going to go over, I picked out 
a number of items off of their list. And hopefully I get through all of them. I don't bother to count them. And some of them is, is stuff that we've talked about on this show already. Um, some of it's stuff that we haven't talked about. But, you know, when you hear it, all of it, you know, ties in. All of it, some of you have heard here, there, and maybe everywhere. Um, it is in no particular order, so the first one doesn't mean that's the first one that you start with, or the last one doesn't mean that it's the least important. You can put them in the order of importance to you. Now, why is that important? Because every single person is different. And what may be at the top of their list may not be at the top of my list or your list. And like I said, some of these things will sound familiar and some of these items, I will spend a little bit more time on them um, because of the fact that we may have touched on their importance in other topics that we've done on the show. So moving right along, identify and discuss triggers. We've done a show on triggers. I think our show that we did was specific to holiday triggers, but triggers in general. So this is very important for the recovering addict to know what, what triggers them to possibly get stuck in negative thought, which may then lead to negative action. So instead identifying what what are the triggers, what things will trigger me into those arenas, and what am I going to do to develop skills, what coping skills am I going to develop and put into play to offset those triggers. So we can't stop, unless, you know, no, no one's a robot, so we can't stop some things from triggering thoughts or feelings. If you exist in the environment, things are going to trigger you for different reasons and in different ways. But that's not the issue. So the issue is not the trigger. The issue it becomes, how do I cope with and respond to the trigger? And that's where those in recovery and those who are not often trip up and fall short. It's their coping and their response to the trigger itself. And as you go throughout your daily existence and your recovery experience, one of the things you might want to think about and look at is, are there any patterns that you can identify that are contributing to risks or triggers uh, presenting themselves in your daily life? You never know. You might be the one that's putting the trigger in place. You might be the one that's doing something that's bringing the trigger forth. So that's just something to think about. Next up, one of my favorites, one of my, one of my uh, philosophies, if you will, that in my opinion are, is, is under spoken about. Gratitude. What is Gratitude. Basically, simply being grateful and constantly trying to be in a humble space where you can 
consistently ask yourself, what are you grateful for and why? And allow that to be the jumping off point for how you present yourself to the world. And usually when you do that, humility or being humble is what comes forth. Um, We talk a lot about gratitude in the TC, but it's often not actuated um, enough. So we want to keep that in the forefront. One of the things I've noticed over the many years uh, that addicts, as they move through to and transition to the different parts of their recovery experience, that one of the areas that has not been delved into enough, worked on enough, talked about enough, is how am I going to go about occupying my time constructively? So, of course, there's work that occupies a lot of our time. And for those who are in school, that occupies a lot of our time. For those who are doing both, that occupies a lot of your time. But aside from those two things, what else are you doing? What what else are you involved in? Do you have any hobbies? Are you involved in any community activities, Um, social activities, recreational activities? So it's very important for the recovering addict to, to, to have interests, um, and I'm also a proponent of the recovering addict having interests outside of recovery, meaning that it's okay, and I'm, I'm very supportive of those in recovery to participate in and attend functions that are recovery-based, AANA, social activities, et cetera, absolutely proponent of that, supportive of that. But that should not be the, you know, be it and the end all of of what you're involved in. So an exercise might be while you are in the treatment environment is to make a list of activities that you might want to engage in, positive and constructive, of course, um, that are different than what you have been doing while you were in the addict's life. Next up, role-playing. I cannot emphasize this enough. It does not take place enough. It used to way, way, way back in the day during my time. But it is so important to role-play circumstances, situations that may arise during a recovery experience. And a lot of these circumstances and situations, we know in advance. We, we know what's going to happen when we go back to the neighborhood. We know what's going to happen when we see so-and-so. We know what's going to happen if I go to the club, how I'm, you know, the feelings and thoughts it may bring up. You have to role play these things so you can practice. Oh, that was our last show. Remember that? Practice. So you can practice your response to those things. And the more that you role play, the more that you practice, the more that you get feedback on how you may go about responding to these circumstances and scenarios, they will eventually become instinctual. 
So you won't be like theoretically pulling a pad out of your back pocket, flipping over the pages and seeing, okay, how should I respond to this circumstance in this situation? No, you would have practiced it. And so you'll be ready to respond from hopefully intellectual and emotional muscle memory, if you will. Let's put it that way. Nutrition. We speak a lot on this show about uh, some of the core areas that we have to rebuild in the addict. And one of them, obviously, is their nutritional intake, getting them back healthy. And part of regaining health is nutrition. It's a major part of regaining health. People really, to my opinion, underestimate how important proper nutrition is to kind of fixing a lot of little ailments, if not major ailments, that people may have when they come into the treatment environment. So I know our programs were very big on making sure, because depending on the drug of choice and how long a person was using, they either have come in underweight, and obviously I won't say malnutritioned in the sense that we think about it when we hear the word and we think of people in third world countries and, and, and they look a certain way. You don't have to look that way to actually be nutrition nutrition deficient or to have a nutrition deficiency. You may not be malnourished in the uh, you know in the sense of what we would see visually on TV of a malnourished person, but are you getting proper vitamin intake, nutrient intake? If you are out there doing your thing in the addict's life. No, you're not because you're not eating properly. And probably one of the, 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 the things that addicts suffer from most and probably don't even realize is, is, is it mild, if not just flat out dehydration. But, you know, when you're in the life, you don't know the signs of dehydration. You don't know if you're dehydrated. And hopefully... You don't get to that state of dehydration where you pass out. But most people, you know, before that happens, you know, they, they, they get to a liquid or what have you. But trust me, mild dehydration affects a lot of people without them even knowing it. Next up, physical fitness. When I went into treatment 20-something odd years ago, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what treatment is about. And when I went up to Swan Lake at 9 o'clock at night, I, you know, it was dark, pitch black up in the mountains, so you can't see anything on the property. But when I came out the next day and saw the property for the first time, saw that swimming pool over there, and then they took me to the gym, I couldn't believe that this is what treatment was about until it was explained to me that treatment isn't just about us sitting down in a group or individually and talking about our problems and figuring out ways to resolve them, move past them, address them, etc. There are many aspects to, to treatment and physical fitness, physical recovery is one of those aspects. And so for people who were involved in sports or just involved in physical fitness or needed to be, and sometimes the nurse would say, hey, you know what? You need to go to the gym. 
and work out or, or, or walk the property and things of that nature, um, we were told that this was an essential part of your recovery, not just the mental and the emotional, but the physical aspect. And so you need to physically get better, physically get in shape. So physical fitness. Question you should ask yourself is where am I currently as it pertains to my physical fitness? What do I need to do to get where I imagine myself to be as a realistic goal? And I always believe something physical in terms of physical fitness should be a goal on a person's treatment plan. Even if it's So it appears that we've had another network issue with our uh, broadcast. Um, I'm not sure when it cut off. Actually, I know when it cut off when I heard that sound in my headset. Um, So me and Mr. Producer will have to uh, research with our broadcast partner why this is happening because it's the second show in the row that this is happening. And I believe it's only happening on my end. As last show, it happened on uh, my end only, and everyone was still able to hear him. So the question will be, what it is about my side, why that keeps happening? So I hope everyone can hear me back again now. I know I have. I've tested my mic. Everything was good, so I hope I'm back live. My clock is back working. I'm not sure where I cut off at. Um, so I'm just going to go down from the middle of where I was real quickly. Um, we talked about on the list, physical fitness being important, sleep being important, self-care being important, making a list of your bad habits, um, and figuring out, mapping out a plan to, uh, uh, minimize those, um, anger management. How do we go about dealing with our anger. I spoke about many times on this show how anger is never the first feeling. So what happens a split second before and what, what, what was that feeling and let that be the feeling that we focus on and that we deal with and that we introspect on and that we look into. Okay. And behaviorally practice doing something different when we get angry so that we don't put ourselves in the jackpot. The next one up is uh, one of my favorites, forgiveness. We talk about that a lot in the treatment environment. It's talked about a lot in the recovery environment. Um, But it really takes something to actually actuate forgiveness. And oftentimes people think that they are actuating forgiveness when in fact they are not. Because in order to actuate forgiveness... The one thing, and we've said this, we've done shows on just on this topic. The the one thing that must be in play, or let, let me put it this way, the first question that must be asked introspectively is, what is it that is preventing me from actually forgiving, whether it be myself or another, and the gut level honest answer to that question 
will then lead the person to the next step. And usually if you if you don't get that answer, if you don't process through that step, then any quote-unquote illusion of forgiveness is just that, just an illusion of forgiveness. I'm not going to give up the secret on this show on to, to forgiveness, but you have to find out what is it that's holding me back and why am I either holding myself back or being held back from exercising true forgiveness. And it is an exercise. It is something that you, uh, you practice. And by the way, this will be the last thing I'll say on forgiveness because the show is not just on this topic, that forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. So that's a clue to the secret. One of the things you should do, this is the next top next item, is uh, when you are in your recovery process, no matter where you are in that journey, okay, is thinking about what that journey is going to look like. How am I going to go about this? What am I going to accomplish here? And then at the next phase, and then the next phase, and then the next phase. So that you can actually visualize in your mind what that process is going to be like for you. So that's thinking about your recovery journey, talking about what you want to accomplish in your recovery journey. Next up, learning the science of addiction and or the neuroscience of addiction. You know, what, What's the pharmacology of the drugs that I've used? What are the what are the uh, the negative consequences to 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 my body? Counterbalance that, counteract that, recover from that. What do I need to do? What do I need to eat? What do I need to drink? Et cetera, et cetera. To me, that's an important thing for someone, especially if you've used a long time, to learn to kind of offset um, some of the damage that we've done. I always say, you know, at some point you have to pay the piper, but we never know, and for each person it's different, what that piper paying will be. Um, but you, you do have to pay the piper. And if you're under uh, 25 and you don't know what that expression means, I can't help you. Uh, next up, discuss uh, living in the moment. Now, I know that might sound contrary to where I talked about thinking about your recovery journey and what you're going to do in the, in, in, in the different phases of your recovery process. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. You can be in the moment, i.e. be participating and, and be involved in your treatment environment and in your recovery process. Okay. Be present in it not just exist in it, but be present and participating in it actively. And at the same, and also be thinking about the next step. We certainly don't want the next step to just sneak up on you and you just say, oh, I wasn't ready. We don't want that. One thing we've learned over the years that addicts are not good at is 
introspectively, not you know publicly, but introspectively complimenting themselves or 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 self acknowledgement of when you have done something well when you have accomplished something when you have made change that you have noticed it's one thing for others to notice change in you but when you have noticed that hey i'm changing that's a significant milestone and so it's important to be mindful of that and to be willing to pat yourself on the back. I'm not saying you have to break your arm doing it, okay? But it's important to give yourself your your due when it's due and when it's appropriate. Um, you know, we're very good at, uh, you know, making ourselves feel bad, putting ourselves down, thinking negative. Um, but the opposite, you know, and self-acknowledgement of something that's positive, that's very important. For the addict, so you got to flip that around, and whether that means learning how to write a list of uh, self affirmations, etc., whatever it takes. But you certainly cannot rely on external uh, affirmation, external acknowledgement. Not that that's not going to happen. Of course, it's going to happen. People within your, you know, your your worldly circle are going to notice a change in you and they're going to speak to that change and speak to um, what they think about it, how they feel about it, and so on and so forth. But you must be able to speak to yourself. After all, you are your own best friend. And you are the most important person in the world. So there's trust in your environment. That's something that we ask of you. Any program will ask of you to kind of trust the process, trust the environment that it has your best interest in hand, at hand. But there's also just trust, trusting of yourself, trusting of another human being. You cannot and you will not be successful in the recovery process unless there is trust, unless you're able to uh, trust others, trust yourself first, of course, but trusting other people and then trusting the recovery environment and the recovery process, wherever it is that you may be experiencing it whether it's in an OCG program, whether it's in a Project 90, whether it's in a program, wherever you may be located. Trusting that environment and that process. And by the way, it means trusting it even if things are going on in that environment that are not kosher, that shouldn't be happening. You know, most residential environments are just, you know, replicas, small, tiny replicas of of the world, like a little micro-societies, I call them. So you're not going to get perfection, and you're not supposed to. Drugs aren't supposed to come in, but they do. Certain behaviors aren't supposed to take place, but they do. So it mimics real world to a certain extent. As much as we try to shelter that and, and keep the world out so that the environment can be as safe as possible, 
okay? And, and we used to call that making the environment surreal instead of real. So it was surreal. But the reality is reality will infiltrate the environment. And whatever that, however that manifests itself, that is a, an, an, an opportunity for those in the recovery process to practice experiencing the world without making a bad decision. So if drugs come in, doesn't mean you have to partake. Doesn't mean you have to partake. If someone else is making a bad decision, doesn't mean that you have to do the same. Because the same circumstances are going to present themselves out there. I like to say, if you get stuck in an elevator with 15 other people smoking blunts, smoking crack, shooting dope, or whatever the case may be, you got to be able to stand there and not let that influence what you're going to do. So it's no different when you're in the treatment environment. Tests, if you will, will always present themselves. One of the my favorite... Um, what should I call it? Because what we're doing here, exercises. But this, this is an exercise also that I give to clients every now and then. Is I give them a sheet of paper. And we actually did a show on this. And three columns. The first column is your fears. Second column is your insecurities. Third column is your inadequacies. And you write them down. And this requires, again, gut level, brutal honesty with yourself. And so I always advise people, you don't do this in a group. You do this, you, you, you know, during your free time, your alone time, you do this by yourself. You must be honest with yourself. When you're done, you can share it and compare with others because others can give you feedback, but you must complete it first. So you write down your fears, all, anything that you're afraid of, real or imagined, um, your insecurities and your inadequacies. And then you go through the process of validating them. And we'll talk about that during another time. But the documenting of them, the writing down of these things, putting a pen to paper where you can then look at them is an essential part of the exercise because you can then see when you write down, I have, you know, a fear of loneliness, a fear of being alone, fear of rejection, fear of this, fear of that, fear of failure, fear of success, et cetera, on and on and on. You then have something you can work with. It's not just up in your head. You, gotta, you put it down on paper, and now you have to go through the process of now validating whether or not these feelings are real or imagined. And the reason why we go through that exercise of weeding out what's real versus what's imagined is because we want to focus on what's real, what's imagined. So the exercise for the purposes of this is just documenting these things, fears, insecurities, inadequacies. Friendship. People like to say when they are in the treatment environment, they are that so and so is their friend, 
and I like to correct them and say so-and-so is not your friend because it is not possible to make a friend in the treatment environment. The only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is start the foundation of working on a friendship. That's all you can do. And we used to say you're lucky when all is said and done, if you make it out of treatment and you have one friend, and so that you've gone through an extended process, and when you guys or gals are no longer in the treatment environment, and you're able, and that friendship that that friendship that you're working on can withstand the true rigors of a friendship, holding each other accountable, being there in times of need, et cetera, et cetera, then you know you've met that threshold, that standard of what really is a friend. Not someone that you meet in, in treatment that you get along with and you got interests and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. No. Through the good times and the bad times, through the thick and the thin, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that takes time to experience that with somebody. And when you can go through all that and come out on the other side and you still have a friendship, then you know you have someone you can call a friend. Spirituality and how would we put that in the context of something that you should exercise um, if you are a person that is interested in spirituality and that manifests itself either through the observation of a particular religion, then we encourage you to do that in whatever fashion is comfortable to you. Um, and we certainly and, – and notice how I went from spirituality down to religion first, I mean in, in that order, um, because not everybody ties themselves, quote-unquote, to a religion, but they are spiritual. Um, and then again, spirituality doesn't necessarily for some people tie themselves to, quote-unquote, a god. They might call it a power, a supreme being, or nothing. To each his own, whatever it is. But what we encourage is whatever it may be, that you incorporate it as a part of your recovery process and that you exercise that, that you do it, that you you don't just talk it, but you actually live it. Through observation, reading, writing, etc., This next item is kind of along the lines of something that you might experience if you're going through either a 12-step program or you're just on your own doing the 12 steps. And that is um, – now, this is not just limited to the 12 steps, but it might sound familiar to those who are doing them. But work on strained relationships that are important to you. Relationships that you want to save, that relationships that you want to maintain, but they're, for whatever reason, they're strained. It might be strained because of, you know, your addiction and the things that you have done during that addictive lifestyle. Um, And, you know, you have caused a strain in the relationship. And so it behooves you to, to be the party to try and make amends to that relationship. 
And so I'm a fan of encouraging people to write. And when I say write, I don't necessarily mean that you might write them a letter, but writing, if you were to talk to them through writing, what would you say and how would you say it? And using that as a tool to help you in your conversation with that person to uh, exercise that process of making amends in that strained relationship. And keep in mind, this is somewhat of a selfish exercise because remember, you yourself don't have control over another person. So it might be your desire to unstrain the strained relationship. You do not know if that's the other person's desire. So you do have to put yourself in a state of vulnerability in making that other person know that you want to unstrain this relationship and they may be willing, they may share that desire, they may not. So you have to be open to that, but it still doesn't stop you from engaging in the exercise because the exercise itself is an essential part of your recovery process. And trust me, there's going to be someone who you're going to have to engage in this exercise with that is going to share a desire to improve the relationship. And so it's necessary for you to do this anyway, at least in our opinion. We talked a little bit before about um, anger management. The next item deals a little bit more about um, looking deeper into uh, how anger impacts you physically and mentally. We understand, you know, it's an emotion. But for you yourself, the individual, to introspect and reflect on, and and the reason why we spend a lot of time with anger is because that. We, as I said before, we know it's not the first feeling, but it is a prevalent feeling, meaning that it is a feeling that people respond to, if not the most, uh, with the most energy. And so because there's so much energy behind it, more often than not, um, what are the other impacts to the person other than the negative energy? Are there any physical impacts to them? Are there any um, spiritual impacts to them? Are there any, you know, health concerns that the anger um, exacerbates? These are the type of things that we want you to think about when we when we talk about looking deeper into your anger. Another exercise is practice using positive statements. So positive statements reinforce anything positive that you are doing. It is very difficult and it's very difficult for a person in recovery to notice any change, positive change that they have made. So I always say it becomes the responsibility of others in the beginning, to make them aware of change that they've made. 
And then after that happens, because part of the process of making you aware of change that you've made is also teaching you how to identify change in yourself, what it looks like, what it may feel like, so that you yourself can then start the process of identifying it. And then once you have practiced that, there's that word again, and become used to doing that, you then can start exercising positive statements and slowly eliminating the negative statements out of your repertoire of language. You'll be surprised if you record yourself just throughout the day when you're in the treatment environment and engaging in the recovery process, how much negativity in terms of what you how you say what you say, what you may talk about and the way you talk about it, how much as a percentage it sounds and is negative versus positive. And oftentimes, and one way to, to, to flip that is you can recognize when you're making a negative statement and then try to see how you can turn that same thing into a positive or where can you find within that a positive that you can speak to so that if not, if at the very least you balance it out, it takes practice to not only recognize when you're doing it, but then to do that flip and find a positive thing within that same negative thing that you were talking about. I think we ask people to do this, or sometimes people do this on their own. This is the next item up. Uh, Writing a breakup letter to your drug of choice. So I put a little twist on that. I don't say to your drug of choice, but I say writing a breakup letter to that lifestyle, which includes all your drugs, plural, of choice. Um and the various other things that are incorporated into that lifestyle that are negative. So you should be writing a breakup letter to all of that. So I just call it that lifestyle, and then whatever is involved and incorporated into that is what we want to break up from. So writing that Dear John letter to that is something that's, I would recommend uh, those in the treatment environment to do. And again, this is something you do on your own. You can share it, but it's something you do on your own. It's an exercise for yourself. Uh, We talked about fears, document your fears. Next item up. We talk about conflict resolution, and I know in, in our program, we, we have a group called the Encounter Group where uh, it's not necessarily, quote, unquote, made for conflict resolution. That's a hoped outcome, but not a necessary required outcome, but we start the process in that group in terms of airing, A-I-R, airing our conflicts. Um, and the hope is as we, as we get more experience in learning how to uh, air 
our conflicts and air our feelings, we then learn how to start the process of how do we now go from airing them to now coming to some resolution. Can then do what? Move forward. Now, oftentimes, or sometimes you might find that words are not enough to resolve a conflict. So what actions can you do? And that's what this exercise is about. It's not about using words to resolve a conflict, but what can you do action-wise to resolve a conflict? And, and the area that this comes into play the most, I think, is when, when you have done something cause you to lose the trust of another person and you want to, and it's important for you to regain that trust. Well, trust is not something that can be regained by words. It can only be regained by action. You have to show and prove that whatever it is that you did, you're not going to do again or whatever that you did, that you are in fact, sorry about it. And you show that through your actions. Um, so that's the exercise. How do I resolve conflict? And I just gave you an example using trust. But how do I resolve the conflict I may have? If I can't do it by words, how can, I, how can I use my actions to then resolve the conflict? Let's see. What else do we have here? How are we on time? Okay, we're coming close to the top of the hour. I'm not sure how much time we lost with that network outage. I think it was about 10 minutes, so we're about 10 minutes behind, but that's okay. We're almost done. Uh, Goals. Goals are very important. Goals are very important to one's self-esteem and self-confidence. So documenting your goals and you can interpret document to mean whatever, you know, whether it's actually physically writing them down or documenting them in your brain so that you never get them and you know what the goal is. Either way, some people are more visual. Some people, they don't need to write stuff down. Um, some people, when they write it down, it makes it more real to them. Whatever works. But speaking to, talking about, writing it down, goals. And they can be small, because when you're in treatment, you do have small goals. And then the steps that you're going to take, push them. Next item. (laughs) I laugh at this one because I describe it in a different way. It's called an emotional reset button. which I think is the same as my 48-hour rule. And the people who learn about my 48-hour rules are usually people who, uh, let's say they might have a relapse event or they may have moved on to another treatment phase and it didn't turn out so well and they found themselves back in a, a phase that they were in before and You know, they're calling it here an emotional reset button, and I just call it you got 24 to 48 hours to feel bad for yourself, and after that, you got to flip that switch, and that's it. Because if, if, if left to your own devices, you can spend a week to two weeks feeling bad about yourself, and to me, that's a waste of time. 
and energy. You made a bad decision or you made a bad mistake. Depends. We recognize it. We acknowledge it. You can feel bad about it for a day or two max. Then we move towards self-analysis. How did we get there? And what do I need to do to not repeat the same experience? So that's my interpretation of their exercise of an emotional reset button. Having alone time. That's the next item up. I know that seems odd to people who are in the residential program because it seems like you're never left alone. But every now and then, having time to, 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 to be alone with your thoughts is very important and essential for good mental and emotional health. And so when you do have free time, if you're still in the treatment environment, or if you're not in the treatment environment anymore, this has to become a, just a, a, a worked in to as a part of your structure to have time when you are time for self-reflection, introspection, meditation, whatever you want to call it, daydreaming, etc. Just time for you. This is very important. Next item up. Identifying negative emotions. Making a list of them. And then, as you make your list, and by the way, when we say negative emotions, we mean negative feelings. You make a list of them, the negative ones, and then for each one or next to each one, you would write, how would you deal with that constructively what's a good example of dealing with this negative feeling or this negative emotion in a constructive manner again a lot of these are self exercises not group exercises things I do by myself things you're to do by yourself and my, when I say by yourself I, my hands are in quotes because I know some, some of you that might be in the treatment environment still there is no such thing as by yourself, but you know what I mean. You can, there's times you can be off to the side or in the dining room by yourself during free time, etc., where these exercises can be done. Last but not least, holding on to resentments or grudges. Resentments or grudges, whatever you want to call it, are one of the most powerful negative and destructive feelings out there. And one of the most under-expressed feelings. I call it a root feeling, meaning that it's when all of the other feelings are peeled back, we find out underlying all of this is resentment. That's what the bottom. Well, that's what that's what's at the bottom of what's going on here. 
is that this person has resentment towards this other person. And as a result of that, all these other things on top are, have been in play. So feelings like that, that are very destructive, which resentment is, we want to see if we can dig deep, deep, deep and uncover them whenever it's appropriate, whenever it's a part of the equation. And I always say we kind of know we have a sense of these things about ourselves when, 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 when these, neg- these deep, negative, destructive feelings are at the core of some of our difficulties with either a person or a place or a thing. Um, and we have to dig deep to bring it forth. And there's no healing and moving forward unless that happens. So you have to question yourself. Again, this is a self-analysis. Am I, do I have any resentments? Am I holding on to any grudges or resentments? If they are, what are they? And what do I need to do to move past them and let them go? Program Two Dreams, as I mentioned, had about 120 items on their list. I think I picked out maybe, uh, I don't know, 20, it seems like. No, maybe maybe 30 when all said and done, which I think are important and are kind of fall in line with what we, we do and what we've talked about on this show um, of things that we can do as uh, recovery-based exercises to improve our recovery experience and enhance our chances of having a successful recovery experience. All right. We're a little past the top of the hour. Um, We're going to take a short music break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to take some calls. We're going to do some X-Files. We're going to get some questions answered. Um, And then we'll see what else is in store. So we'll be back in a few minutes.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you.
Okay, welcome back to Roadstone Recovery, recovery support time. Uh, We're going to go right to our phones, and then we're going to do the X-Files afterwards. Now, our no producer rules apply, so we don't have a producer screening our calls, so you're going to do your first name and your hometown, and then we'll get to your question. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and hometown, please? Hi, I'm Connor. My hometown is Burlingame. Hi, how can we help you? I am calling about my question. Um, I'm a musician, and I play a lot of venues. And uh, after coming to OCG, I was wondering uh, how often or how long it would take before I could start playing shows again. Because there's, there's a lot of alcohol and a uh, certain amount of drugs involved, but being around that might compromise my recovery, so... Is this something that you do as a way of making a living? Yes, it is. So, is it the environment or is it you? Well, of course, I would say I do play a part in it because I am around, obviously. But the environment definitely is the biggest thing because although, you know, although I could just get on stage and play and then just get off, there tends to be a lot of socializing, and you know, of course, I love socializing. Mm-hmm. And in that kind of environment, most people knows know what goes on. You know, yeah, it's pretty much a giant party, so you can't really yeah, get away but, from it. But how long have you been a musician? Uh, most of my life, uh, twelve years. Okay, so as a musician, I'm sure you've, you know ingratiated yourself in terms of with with history right a little bit Absolutely. you know groups etc right and i'm sure you're aware of various groups that have gone through bad times behind you know using drinking and all that stuff right of course and and then have somehow some way made it back back together and uh, and kind of reinvented themselves, recreated themselves, and gone on to even have even greater success. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, so, because the quote-unquote industry or the environment is ripe with a certain type of lifestyle, if you will, okay, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you. Because you're a musician and you have to kind of enter that realm, it doesn't mean that you can't exist in that realm without partaking. That's why I said it ultimately, ultimately always comes back to the person, not necessarily the environment. Now, and the reason why it's important for you is because you make a living doing this. It's not like, you know, you're just having a recreational thing where you can make a decision. I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? But this is your livelihood. You know, you play an instrument, so you might get called to, you know, to a session or play in a band or play with groups and so on and so forth. And the environment may be of a certain way, but that doesn't mean that you have to partake of everything that's negative in that environment. And my experience, let me just say this, my experience has shown me in talking to others who are are kind of in the same predicament as you that – once they kind of overcame that worry about the environment, 
and just focused on themselves and their own boundaries and commitment that the environment was not so much of an issue because people eventually respected their position and their, you know, their life choice as long as they could play whatever that instrument was that they were playing. Yes. I see. I see. Um, really quick, though, um, I've been speaking with a counselor of mine here, and it's been a uh, pretty – it's been one of the main topics that I brought up on one-on-ones. Um, and I kind of asked, like, what is a good amount of time that's, you know, where I should – actually focus on myself or anything else before I actually go back back into that. And, of course, I'm trying to go back as soon as possible, but it's I, I can understand how it wouldn't be a good idea. Um, I do say that – I can't definitely say that I think I'm ready, but I do know that I am in a little bit of denial, and I've come to terms with that for sure. But uh, it's – I'm really just looking – I'm, I'm sure there isn't a definite answer. Everyone is different. It's a case-by-case basis. But I don't know. I'm just – I really wish what, I could get an amount of time. You know, is it just how I feel, or is it is it going off someone else's I'll, guidelines? Or no, 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 no. Ultimately, it always it always always comes down to how you feel, because you have kind of like a um, I won't say it's a rarity, but it you know people in your position aren't the norm, meaning that if you think of all the different professions out there. There's maybe a handful where in that realm that, you know, that a lot of negativity is a part of that realm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So if a person was a doctor, you know, well, there's not a lot, to my knowledge, not a lot of negativity in doctor, in you know, in doctoring or in someone that's a bus driver or someone that's a pilot or, you know, this, that or another. But, you know, someone that's a musician, you know, yeah, they might play in venues or be in certain environments that there's a lot of ne- negativity. That's just the nature of the beast of that world. So for you, it's not only the issue of, hey, when, when do I feel I'm ready? But it's also because what you're entering as a part of your livelihood is a realm that, you know, is going to, quote, unquote, I don't like to use this word too often, but might test you. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've even, even, because I have been clean for certain periods of time and, mm-hmm. of course, did what I did, you know, hop around, play venues, and drugs come up. Right. And, you know, and it's, you know, I had to deny them, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't dabble in. Like, my, my drug of choice is heroin. Heroin, mm-hmm. right? So, of course, I think, okay, well, I'm trying to stay clean, but I could do cocaine or I could drink alcohol. And being in this program, I've come to learn that, of course, you just, you just you can't even use any mood-altering substance, whether it's, you know, your drug of choice or something that you never indulge in at all. But no, it's just, just kind of just from my experiences – it is a little scary, but I'm sure with enough clean time, it does get easier. That's what people say. But it's, it's you know, this is my first program, so I'm really new to all of this. It has nothing to do with time, by the way. Okay. Time plays a role in for a certain for for its purpose, but in terms of whether or not you're going to do what you need to do, and whether or not you're going to do the right thing, it's not about time. It's about when you make the commitment. Okay. And and you'll know, you'll know when you've made the commitment because it's a flip that occurs within you. 
I it's not an external thing. That flip, I think it's actually already come into play, but of course I still have my doubts just because of the uh, statistics. of when, 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 when you make that flip, so I can tell you right now the flip has not happened. <laughs> <laughs> for you. Okay. When you okay. when okay. you make the flip, there is you don't experience doubt. You don't experience what? This is why I say you'll know when you've experienced the flip because when you make the flip, you don't experience any doubt. Got you. I see. You have arrived you have arrived at a place where you have committed that you know what? That part of my life, that part of my life in terms of what I was doing, is in the past. I am moving forward into a different part of my life, which will not include that. Regardless of what profession I choose, regardless of where I might hang out, those are no longer options for me. I'm moving forward. That experience is behind me. I can very rightfully, I think, rightfully say that I have come to terms with I do never want to use and I'm not going to use, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that I have like I'll be in a bathroom, right? And I'll have little thoughts in my head and triggers because I used to use a lot of bathrooms. But of course, you know, I just brush it okay. off, brush it aside and fifteen seconds later it goes away. But those thoughts is what frightened even though I know that I never want to use drugs again and that I'm not going to do drugs again. Did you say that thoughts, those did, did you say that those thoughts frighten you? They do. Absolutely. Okay, so what let me help you with that just a little bit. You do know that it is going to, it's impossible for you to forget what you have experienced. Yes. So just as you described, I used to use in bathrooms sometimes, and so sometimes when I go into the bathroom, you know, it kind of brings back that memory for me. Yeah, it's isolation and all that, yeah. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Not run from it, but acknowledge, hmm, I remember when I used to, you know, being in the bathroom, doing what I was doing, and go about doing the, you know, washing your hands, drying your hands, and then leave the bathroom, and you leave it there. Yeah. And but yeah, you're, you not know, going to, you're not going to forget your experiences. You're not going to yeah, forget them. Yeah. It's, oh man, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just because I've relapsed so many times in the past. I never really went to a residential program before, and I have learned a ton here. No doubt, I have learned a ton here. But I just, I don't even know, like the relapse rate or like the success rate for places like this is like not even 10%. Like, this is my first time to a program. I know I'd never want to use drugs again. And I, I know I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not going to use drugs again because I feel like I wouldn't be truthful myself because I sincerely don't want to use drugs again. But well, why, why, why can't you make that, why, why can't you make that statement? Um, I just, I feel like everyone in programs, a lot of people that are preaching, the ones that you think are going to make it, I've seen a lot of them fall. And that coupled with the fact that so many people relapse to begin with, and the but rate is you don't, so, it's so but, high. It's yeah, just, but, but you don't know. It's impossible for you to know the reason behind each person's experience. And so the only person's experience that you can speak to is yours. And yours is the only one that you have control over. And so what others have experienced, what the success rate is or the failure rate, whichever way you want to put it, is ultimately irrelevant. Because it all comes back to what are you going to do? 
if 99 out of the 100 people before you have not succeeded, what are you going to do? If you look behind you and say, well, I guess they didn't make it, so I guess I'm not going to make it, then you're not going to make it. I don't know if I'm necessarily saying that. And just I like to be truthful to myself. And even though I know right. right now that what I'm is, happy without you, what, what is your truth? My truth? Yeah. You said in you want to be truthful to yourself. In terms of how you feel about yourself in recovery and being successful in recovery, what is your truth as you sit here today? Well, I know that. Okay, well, I'm just going to say things on the top of my head. I know that I can be happy without drugs. I've never felt this way before in the past six, seven years. That if I don't use first time, I know that I won't go back. I know that I feel like I feel like I'm stronger than most, but that could just be an irrational thought. But I do use that to motivate me. But okay, you shouldn't truth, because just, other people have nothing to do with you. Absolutely. True. True. So. Try not to make it too complicated for yourself. Keep it very simple. And your truth should be either I am not sure where I stand right now. And that's okay. Okay. That's okay. That's the truth. Or my truth is I'm not going to be using drugs anymore. Or okay. some people say, my truth is, you know what? As I sit here today, I plan on using. Yeah. And I say, that's okay, too, because that's honest. Exactly. That's honest. Yeah. It's, yeah, man, it's just, I just have so many, not questions, but it's almost like being, these truths we're speaking about, you know, of course, what I was saying before, I guess would be one of my truths is that I don't want to use, but I'm scared. You know, I'm scared of being in the environment and rationalizing to myself. That, that, that okay. right there. You know, that, I've done that so many times. Yeah. Let me leave you with this. That right there, what you just said, is what you need to talk about. The more you talk about it, the less it will, the, 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 the fair ratio will come down, come down, come down, come down. You'll do introspection, you'll do self-analysis, you'll come up with the right answers, and the fear will dissipate, okay? And you'll be able to confidently move forward. And, and, and at a certain point, at a certain point, if it's in your heart, not in your mind, if it's in your heart, if it's in your belly that you want to stay clean, you don't even have to utter the words. It's not something you, say, you state publicly. You know it on the inside. Got you. You, you, and you, that's why we always identify the flip is almost like a spiritual thing because it's hard to describe because you don't talk about it. You just know that you've done that flip inside and that you no longer even spend any time worrying about whether or not you're going to use because you're, already, you're, not, you're, you're so focused on, okay, what do I need to do to get my life back in order? You know? And for you, you have a profession, you have a skill. Your focus can be on fine-tuning that. You know, where am I going to work? 
Who am I going to hook up with band-wise? You know, blah, 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 blah. That's where all your energy goes. Yeah, that's instead, funny you mentioned of, that, actually. Instead of any energy being on, damn, am I going to use or can I do a little bit yeah. of here? Can I dabble in this? Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's the thing yeah. about the flip. It eliminates any energy being spent on the question of, am I going to use again or not? Yeah. Okay? That's true. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's funny. It's because with my counselors, have been talking about it, and I understand where they're coming from. But music is my therapy, and focusing on that, I truthfully think that will keep me away as long as I just because for me, I don't I don't associate music and drugs. I know that drugs are around shows, but when, for example, a rehearsal, or if I'm you know, just jamming with someone. Drugs don't come out. You know, I met in the past, yes, yeah, some people might like, smoke weed and that'd be it. But I was the only one in my groups that ever did drugs, really. You know, of course, the other people might drink, smoke weed, but I was doing heroin. So you were the one ruining the band. You were the one ruining the band. I would always make it to the shows, but eventually, <laughs> eventually. But yes, I was the black sheep. Okay, so you were the... Uh... Keith Richardson. Exactly. Or Keith Richards. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> All right. All right, sir. Feel free to call us back in two weeks if you have any more questions. Thank Great you. question, by the way. Great question. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was a great call, great question, and a common theme. And persons in recovery have to kind of sort through that. And ultimately and eventually arrive at a place where they're either going to be able to say to themselves that I'm committed this way or I'm still, you know, in doubt or I still want to use those are really the only three spots a person can end up in or exist in in terms of the recovery process. And like I said to the gentleman who called, um, even a person who says, you know what, I still feel like using, you know, as sad as that may sound, okay, it's, a, it's sad to hear but if they're still in treatment, it would be worse to hear that from someone who's on the outside and, you know, you're talking to them on the phone and, and there's nothing you can do. But if a person's still in treatment and they say that, um, it's okay because it's still time for them to work, the, work themselves to the point of, hey, you know what, I'm committed to not use it. All right, let's go back to our next call. Hi, welcome to the show. Can I have your first name and hometown, please? Yeah, this is Jorge calling from Redwood City. How you doing? How can I help you? Yeah. Um, my question is, how do I say this without um embarrassing myself is um why is it when um I'm sober, clean and sober in recovery, um, my testosterone and hormones just go through the roof. Um maybe because you stop using drugs. Your body starts to... Uh, how old are you, first of all? 
if you don't 35. mind me asking. Okay. Your body uh, starts to uh, repair itself, recover. So it's not only the mind that recovers, that, that has to recover. The body's recovering. The soul's recovering. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different aspects of you that are recovering. And so when you get some clean time under your belt, okay, you start to feel physically a lot different than you were when you were doing your thing, your negative thing. You know what I'm saying? And so it's a good thing that you're – I, I, I'm not going to ask you how you know your testosterone is is, is up or high or back. Um, I'll leave that to the imagination. But uh, it's a good thing if that's the case. Would you? Agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, well, okay. in my it's um, alcohol that I have trouble with, and even in okay. my addiction, you know, I was always still sexually active and. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, but now it's like, um, how can I control it? Like, you know. Um, well, I, what do you? It depends what you mean by control. I mean, what do you mean by control? I mean, not think about it as much. I know I'm in a secure. Uh, well, uh, okay, that requires uh, that requires you to practice discipline. Right. Okay, that that's you know mental. That's your brain. That's your mind controlling your body. Um, I mean, you can't you to a certain extent can't control getting um, physically excited. Okay, but your mind can control you acting off of it. If you understand what I mean. Okay, and that's a very good practice because specifically any man who gains control over himself sexually, meaning that his mind controls what he does sexually and not his organs control what he does sexually, okay? It just leads him around to wherever and controls everything he does and with whomever, right? But no, he uses his mind and practices discipline. And that's one of the strongest urges known to man, right? Biological urges. Well, if you can discipline yourself to control that, then what are drugs? What is alcohol? Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So that's a very good practice for you. Okay. Usually what helps out is, um, I don't know, lifting or exercising. Absolutely. Dissipating the energy in other ways. So physical exercise, absolutely. It's all part of it. Okay. And you recommend meditation at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Put it, using the mind, using the body, all of that, whichever, whichever works for you is what I should say. There's no preference for either one or either three or either two, but, or using a little bit of each, you know. But all of it is for the same goal of exercising discipline. Okay. So the person who's work, using, you know, working out, exercising, and so on and so forth, that's good because that requires discipline. It also helps right. dissipate, you know, it, it helps build positive energy and dissipate negative and destructive energy. True, because I do find myself not, you know, losing control or... Yeah, know, you know, really sometimes if you ever... Exactly. If you ever experience sometimes you might be upset, you know, about something and you go, let's say, work out a little bit. And you have dissipated the energy, 
you don't feel as upset, if upset as, at all, as you were before you started working out? Yeah, that's so true. Okay, so, so there's ways to use, you know, either your mind through meditation or um, using your body through some physical exercise. All of that incorporated together helps. Okay. All right? Thank you. All right. Good question. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Very good call. Let's go right to our next call. We're still good on time. Hi, welcome to the show. Can I have your first name and hometown, please? Hello. 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 Okay, we lost that call, which is probably a good time. How are we on time? We're doing good on time. To hit some X-Files, hope you don't hear me shuffling my papers in the background. I'm not going to play the X-File clip. I'll let Mr. Producer, that's his thing. Uh, let's go with Lana from Hollywood, Florida, who says, I have traded my meth addiction for a food addiction. What should I do? Well, that's not good. We certainly don't want to go from one addiction to the other, even though, and they're both destructive in their own ways, obviously. So we certainly don't want to do that. And so, Lana, you have to get control over the food and find out why, you know, how and why am I using food in the same manner I'm using, I was using drugs. So maybe that's if, how, and why. So am I doing that? And if I am, how am I doing that? And then why am I doing that? So that we can stop doing that. It doesn't make sense to go from one addiction to the other. Because food in and of itself is just is bad when abused. Like meth is bad when used. We need food to survive, to provide nutrients for ourselves, but we shouldn't abuse it where it starts to have a detrimental effect on us. All right, let's go back to the phones. Hi, welcome to the show. Can I have your first name and hometown, please? Uh, my name is uh, Mike from uh, EPA, or from San Francisco, San Francisco. All right, Mike, welcome to the show. How can I help you? Um, my question was, uh, I deal with a lot of trauma mm-hmm. and uh, anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. and uh it's mostly the cause of my why I use. I try to cover it up, mm-hmm. and um, I'm wondering how can I deal with it. I'm I'm learning a bunch of different ways to deal with it, and I have already tried a bunch of different ways to deal with it. Um, what other ways can I can help deal with my trauma besides talking about it, doing like meditation and breathing, and medication? All right, we've got about nine minutes, so we're going to be quick and on point, okay? All right, let's hear it. First of all, what is the reason why you use drugs? The reason why I use drugs is because I choose to, of course, but because that I don't feel comfortable 
Okay, let me stop and, you right there. And you chose to because why? Simple because I can't answer. deal. I can't deal with life on on with you know without numbing it. Okay, the so pain. that's a that sounds like a that sounds like a, a program answer. I want you to give me a street street level simple answer. You 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 chose drugs. You use drugs because why? It makes me feel normal. So I'm going to help you. That was that was a closer answer to the to the to the simple simple truth. How about because you liked it? No, I just use drugs just to feel literally so you would, normal you for my anxiety. You would be the first person that I have encountered in 29 years that has not used drugs because they liked it. Well, it started now, off, I, I guess, just, like that. Well, that's, but, um, I remember, I, remember I said street-level simple. Yeah, but... To, I'm but not saying where... About, I, I'm not talking about where it ended up and why it ended up where it ended up. I'm talking street-level sim- simple, which is... Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent people who start using drugs and continue using drugs, they do it because they like the way it makes them feel. We then can move from there to, okay, what's going on with you that you choose to use this to make you feel like that rather than how you would feel normally without it? Are you following me? Yeah, well, I, I like to put it as more... I choose to use because I like the way it makes me not feel. Yeah, but when you're not feeling, you're still feeling a certain way. Because but the logical question as... would let me let me say the logical question would be if you're using to medicate yourself from how you currently feel so that you don't have to feel like that, okay? Logical question would be is okay. How do you feel when you are using? Um, I feel like like I my interpretation of a normal person. So what's the feeling? The feeling is, you know, feeling my feelings, but not feeling them in the dr- in the in the drastic no, I mean, way. No, I mean, what I is the what? How would you describe the feelings? Or would you say that you you when you use, do you feel confident? Do you feel happy? Do you feel um, you know, I joy? Feel you feel so you okay? You feel present, okay? So do you see how not using you feel a certain way? Using you feel a certain way. Either way, you're feeling. Yeah. But you use to avoid one set of feelings. Yeah. You're following me? Yep. Okay. We got to okay, we got to make sure we got that before we move to the next thing. So now, moving to the next thing. So you you have various experiences throughout your life. And some of them traumatic. True? A lot a lot a lot of traumatic. Okay, a lot of them. A lot yeah. of them traumatic, okay? And now these things contribute to ramping up the drug use. True? Yeah, well, it chooses to me to maintain dr- on on drugs. Okay, you know what? Not you do too much. Th- you do too much thinking. Because I'm only asking yes or no questions. Uh, yeah, I know. I see that. 
Um, so, yeah. Okay, good. So, with all this trauma that you've experienced, the only thing that makes you either not feel it, think of it, etc., is to get high. True? Um, to not to not feel it is to yeah. Okay. To get high. Okay. Has that worked? Um, yeah. It has. Successfully? Successfully? I don't know because it's not it's not a it's not a permanent solution. You know, it has well, to be maintained. That's what I want. Well, that's what that's the definition of worked. <laughs> if it worked, that means that it was a successful solution to the problem. But I don't expect my trauma or my anxiety to ever go. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your feelings right now. I'm talking about did using drugs work? Yes. Okay, so they solved the problem for you. Yes. So then I'm I'm lost at what your problem is. Because it's it's illegal, it's bad for my health, it's you know, I'll I'll die eventually. So it's not so, it's solving the problem at hand. So it, it so it didn't work. Because the consequences of you using the consequences of that decision, choosing that method to escape what you were are running from has detrimental effects to you. True? Yeah, or so I'm right. told. Well, no, you you said that. You said yeah, well, stay, I, if I'm using so. drugs, ultimately I can, you know, it can be very harmful to me, even cause death. Yeah. And I don't want that. So I want something else. I want to find another way to deal with the trauma that I've experienced, and not, and by the way, when you say deal with the trauma, you must be clear that you're talking about the feelings around the trauma, not the incidents themselves, because you cannot change the incidents. Yeah, of course. Right. They have happened. You've experienced them. What you can change, what you can so, change is, is how you feel about them. Feel about them. How you feel about the experience. And the first thing we have to do is we get you off of the illicit drugs, right? Yeah. So that we can talk about and experience the feelings of the trauma without any illicit drug use covering them up. Okay. So, yeah, I've done, I've done that step. Okay. And we also get an opportunity to talk about the incidents, Okay. Wow analyze what transpired and put them in their proper context and perspective so that we can then move past them. Have you accomplished that phase yet? Um, I actually, I shared one of the traumas that, um, one of many that I wasn't, okay. um, so that I'm gonna it was speak, hard to share. I and, only got about, and yeah, so. I, I only got about two minutes left, so I don't mean to rush you. But so if I if we don't get to the answer, you know where we want to go, you, we can we can continue this at another time. But where I want to get you to is that where you are right now is in the, still in the process of purging from yourself these incidents that have occurred. Yeah. 
And so once you have complete, once you complete that process of purging them, that means talking about them honestly and openly, without shame, without worrying about embarrassment, but just purging them from your system, okay, and talking about them, finding how I can get to a better space with them in my mind and in my, with my feelings, okay, once you get there, okay, that's when you can then move to, okay, how do I then resolve and then move forward? The feelings. So is that the, um, is that the only way I can deal with them? That's not only the only way, that's the way to ensure that you successfully put them behind you and that they no longer dictate or control or impact decisions that you make in your life or how you behave or how you think. Okay. There's, a, there's an old expression. You can run, but you can't hide. And that's, that's attributable to things like this. When we experience things in our life that are bad experiences, okay, the only way to move past them is to be able to talk about them fearlessly, experience whatever it is we feel behind that, and then go through the next process. It's almost like a grieving, going through the stages of grief. Not exactly, but almost. You know what I'm saying? And people yeah. try and short-circuit it and think that there's another way around it, another way over it, underneath it, you know. No, you've got to go straight forward through that process. And when then you'll be able to turn around and look back and say, man, I'm glad I did that because now it's behind me and I can finally move forward with my life. Or right. really quick, really quick, nope. is there any suggestion? I, 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 I am out of time. The computer is going to cut us off. If I don't cut right. you off, I'm sorry. But save your question, write it down, and we can you can call me back in two weeks. All right, sounds good. All right, all right, thank all you. All right, appreciate it. All right, all right, all right. See, it's not easy to keep your own time and while you're talking at the same time. But yes, we are out of time. I'm about 45 seconds behind schedule, but that's okay. Thanks everybody who was listening today and who participated via phone by calling in the recovery support time. Um, apologize for the uh, the network glitches that occurred. Myself and Mr. Producer, when he gets back stateside, will certainly uh, get underneath that and find out what's going on so that that doesn't happen again. Um, we've been glitch-free for about two years, and all of a sudden in back-to-back shows, we got a little glitch. Um, so we'll get that solved, and um, we'll be back on the air hopefully uh tentatively scheduled for August 8th, Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So hope to see you guys then. Uh, Be sure to continue to send your questions in, and uh, we'll be back on the 8th.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.